0: I think uh, Warren Buffett has this famous quote that's like, be greedy when other people are fearful. And it's around putting money into the stock market during those times when it's really low. And some of the biggest fortunes have been made during that time.
1: You're listening to Investing for Good a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. And now, here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, Julie, how's it going? Not too bad, not too bad. How's it going with you? Good. I was just thinking about how the majority of my portfolio is in real estate and I don't do a whole lot of stocks. Do you invest in the stock market?
2: I do. A very, very little, very small amount. I'm a very safe play kind of person, like invest in one (laughs) big company that hopefully can't bottom out. But other than that, I've played with stocks before and I just haven't had good luck. And, you know, just yeah. And and I love how our guest today, Adam, talks about his experience with stocks and um, how that's what he primarily focuses on, which is so different from what we do.
1: Yeah. So Adam Fortuna is our guest today. And Adam blogs at minify.com, where he helps millennials invest to reach financial independence. Now, Adam started out in his career teaching people how to code. And now Adam spends his retirement because, yes, he is retired, even though he's only in his 30s, as you'll hear. He now helps beginner investors navigate the Confusing financial waters and make informed decisions about their futures. So, in this episode, just like Julie was saying, you know, we talk about, you know, what does it mean to invest in the stock market? How do you invest in the stock market? Is it better to invest in one stock and put all your chips there or to invest in index funds, for example? So, Adam dives into all of that.
2: Yeah. And I love how he, you know, when we asked him, like, why not just sit on a beach somewhere and like not do anything? You know, he, you know, talked about how he feels like, you know, creating these this passive income for himself in this early retirement has really enabled him to, you know, live a life um, on purpose rather than, you know, by accident. And it really allows him to do what he feels like he was put here on this earth to do. And I feel like that's so much of what we talk about too at Good Egg and how, you know, passive investments help you to free up the time so that you have the bandwidth to sort of start to think about, you know, what am I drawn to and what am I passionate about as opposed to what job am I going to go get or what degree am I going to go get so I can go out there and make more money for what we don't even know, right? (laughs) So I love how he gives insight into that for our audience. So it was a great episode.
1: Yes. Enjoy this conversation with Adam Fortuna of Minify. Adam, how are you? Really
0: good. How about you?
1: I'm good. So glad to have you here. Now, Adam, when I first met you at FinCon, which is is the Conference for Self-Professed Financial Nerds back in 2018, at that time, you were right on the cusp of retiring, which you ended up doing at the end of 2018. Right? Right. So you're retired now, which means you must be what? 65, 66 (laughs) years old.
0: Uh, I left my job when I was 36 and yeah, I'm 37 now.
1: Wait, wait, wait a second. You're wait. So people, people are probably listening to this. I'm going to pause here for a second because people are probably listening to this. They're folding their laundry, they're walking their dog, they're driving their car, and they're like, "Uh, wait, I heard that wrong. He's retired and he, wait, he must have said 63. He didn't say 36, but you actually, you're 37. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that's right. I um, was in a very fortunate place in my life financially, and uh, yeah, I made the decision to leave my job after eight years there. In December of uh, yeah, twenty eighteen, like you said.
1: Wow. So how did that happen? I mean, if I understand correctly, you went to college and you studied. You were in technology, right? You were in IT. Right. So, I mean, I know a fair number of people in the tech industry, and they're they're pretty well off. They're they're making good money, but they're not retired at thirty seven. So, <laughs> walk us through that. How did you get from the point where you graduated college and then you got this job? And you worked there for eight years. How did you then get to this point where you were able to retire and no longer have to work?
0: I think, like anyone who is able to exit the workforce before age 50, even, I was in the right place at the right time and put in the work during that time. For me, that right time ended up being graduating college in the mid 2000s, kind of before the Great Recession, and getting established in my career as a I was a full stack web dev for most of my, my time as a, as an employee during that time and just growing those skills and spending pretty much every waking hour getting better and better at being a web, web developer. And uh, kind of where that led me was um, working at some bigger companies and some smaller companies in uh, Orlando, Florida, where I lived and where I graduated college. Eventually, after a couple of companies that led me to join a startup that was only maybe, you know, 15 people at the time, very small, had just launched, called Code School. I really started just working as hard as I could there <laughs> with another great team of talented devs that eventually got bought by another company. And then the company that bought us ended up going public. So, yeah, right place, right time. And working really hard.
1: (laughs) Wow, that must be every engineer's dream is to join a startup right at the beginning and then to then get acquired by a slightly bigger fish and then to get acquired by an even bigger fish that goes public. That's like cashing in a lottery ticket right there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it it was quite a ride. And it's crazy to think that it all happened over, you know, the first five years I was there basically.
1: Yeah,
2: but then- one thing that i just want to like touch on that that you mentioned adam is mm-hmm. the hard work right like so many people out there i feel like are either afraid of hard work or just plain don't want to do it. And they, so, you know, I assume that when you say hard work, that doesn't mean that you were, you know, having water cooler talk every day and, you know, going out for drinks after work and, you know, um, hanging out on the weekends and doing fun things like a heart define hard work. I'm just curious, like for the audience, what does hard work really mean for you? Because I think that, a lot of people may misunderstand what hard work really means. And they're like, well, I go to work every, you know, I go to work every day. I show up, I'm there for, you know, 30 to 40 hours a week and I do what I'm asked. Like, isn't that enough? Like, how come I'm not seeing the same results as you? So can you just like quickly define, I'm just curious what your definition of hard work is and like, you know, what does that really mean?
0: In terms of hard work, there's at any job, you can put in a ton of hard work. You can put in 40 hours, you can put in 60 hours and I think in that respect, I probably wasn't working any harder than, you know, someone working a minimum wage job that's putting in that same amount of time. Yeah. I think uh, some of the fortunate part was um, where I was uh, strategically putting in the time. So part of it was figuring out how to grow the company that I was at, how to provide more value for the company, how to make more money for the company. Yes. And so it's really about that hard work leading directly to business growth.
2: Mm hmm yeah i think that's so important you know when you think about as an employee right when you think about how can i when you take that mindset and you take that ownership it just takes you, you know, leaps and bounds farther in your job and in your career when you really own own your work and own your, you know, the work that you're doing and the company that you're working for and all of that. And really trying to figure out, you know, how you can add the most value in the position that you have. I feel like that just, even if you work 10 hours a week, but you are adding like tremendous value, I think that's just like, you know, hit the nail on the head right there. So Thank you for sharing that. Sorry, Annie, go ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to, uh, I'm so glad we took that tangent because that's so important. But I was going to ask, you get acquired and then this other company that acquires you gets goes public. So you're cashing in this winning lottery ticket. Now, at that point, many people would have said, okay, I have all this money. I'm going to go buy a Lamborghini. I'm going to go buy a, a new house. I'm going to go on this trip around the world. What did you do at that point? And how were you able to sustain and grow that pot of money that you came into?
0: So back up even a couple of years before that, when it was 2005, like three months after I graduated college, my mom passed away and left me like the house I grew up in filled with every possession she'd ever accumulated over a lifetime. And uh, going through that experience of just going through everything she owned and uh, deciding what I wanted to keep, it kind of led me down this road that led to like a more minimalist life of less possessions because it really made me understand just how much stuff I don't want to leave behind for others and how much I really need to live. So between that 2005 and uh, this time when the company went public, I'd been continuously kind of editing my lifestyle and seeing how I could prevent this thing called lifestyle inflation. Where, you know, the more money you have, the more things you buy and uh, trying to keep that in check. Not, not doing the best job at times, but keeping it from rising uh, exponentially to the Lamborghini <laughs> state. Uh, so what were
1: some, what were some things that you did to keep it in check or, or to edit your lifestyle?
0: I think the biggest one for me was a uh, Spending at least the first month, if not the first three months of every year since 2005, tracking every dollar I spend. I think uh, just doing that kind of like puts like a gut check on my relationship with money. I didn't need to do that for 12 months out of the year, but doing that for a couple months out of the year kind of gave a good reflection of like, okay, am I still, you know, being mindful with my spending? Mm.
1: So you're making this these edits to your lifestyle and trying to quell your your lifestyle inflation. So then at this point when the company went public, you were already doing many of these things. Is that right?
0: Yeah, like uh, at that point, we'd been tracking our spending for a while and understanding how much we needed to live every year. For us, that was somewhere between around seventy thousand a year for uh, my wife and I, uh, no kids. And that was to live very comfortably without really having to do any budgeting, really just like to eat out when we wanted, to uh, buy new used cars with a lot of mileage on them every you know decade or so, uh, basically to live the life we wanted and to travel enough.
1: Okay, so $70,000 a year. So let's say you came into, let's say a few million dollars, $70,000 a year, right? Eventually you're going to run out, right?
0: Yeah, so that was one of the the big things I kind of stumbled upon, I guess, back in 2012, is this idea that as you start investing, your money is going to grow at a rate that can potentially sustain you long term. So kind of using that example, you know, if you have a million dollars and spend $40,000 a year, your money is not going to run out over 1 million divided by 40,000. That would be 25 years. It's not going to run out in 25 years because during each of those years, your money is going to be growing if Mm you know how to responsibly invest it during that time as well.
2: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that because I'm super curious. Annie and I were just talking about this before the show. Um, You know that we're big real estate people and that's, that's what we do for our investing. I'm not a stock market person at all. Every time I've jumped into the stock market, I've lost. So... Tell us about how does one, let's say me, for example, um, is curious about getting some money into the stock market. I have not the slightest clue what I'm doing, right? So it's not really the best idea for me to like throw money into the stock market. How did you get into the stock market and how did you educate yourself about what to invest in, what not to invest in? For someone like me who's, you know, is full on in real estate, not in stocks, how do I you know, get into it. What's, is there a platform I could use? Like what's a safe way for me to do that?
0: Yeah. Good question. And also I wish I was good on the real estate side. <laughs> I, I, I have been a complete failure on that side. So I think, I think I have some things to learn, learn from, from you all other. there,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, on the stock side, we hear a lot like, Oh, we need to invest in the stock market. We need to grow our wealth there. Kind of the disconnect between how you do that and how you actually make money is Is kind of something that we're not really taught in schools. Right. Or if we are taught in schools, it's usually like pick a company and invest in Apple and hope it goes Mm -hmm.
2: up. That's what I do. (laughs) That's like (laughs) the one stock I've invested in.
0: (laughs) As far as stocks go, that's not a bad one. Uh, One of the things that uh, is really neat about the stock market since I think in the last 50 years or so is that there are these... uh, it kind of in the same way that there are ways to invest in real estate that you invest in like a lot of things at once. Uh-huh. There are ways to invest in the stock market where you invest in a lot of things at once. Okay. So one of them, probably the most common one in the in the first one is uh, called a an index fund.
2: Okay. So
0: the most common one is called like the S&P 500 index fund, which okay. invests a little bit in the top 500 companies as a, Uh, ordered by their valuation in the stock market. Okay. And so instead of having to invest in all 500 of those companies, Mm -hmm. you just invest in this one fund, and it allocates 4% to this company, 3% to this company, 2% to that company, Mm -hmm. all the way down to the 500th company where it's investing just a little bit in it. Okay. And because of that, you're invested in a ton of companies that are all potentially growing Mm -hmm. and uh, getting the money back from them.
1: So, then if one of the companies tanks, let's say, then you won't lose a substantial amount of money. It's more of a, a stable and steady growth. Is that right?
0: Exactly. And it's also uh, self cleaning. So, for instance, if that company goes out of business, it moves off of the top 500 list. And then the 500 first one moves in and it invests in that one instead. Hmm. So, you don't have to worry about continuously watching the news and buying and selling based on market trends or Mm -hmm. because, you know, some change in interest rates somewhere caused things to change. You can just put your money in it and potentially wait decades until you need that money after you retire to finally draw the funds out of it.
2: So what kind of returns are we talking about here? Like on average annual returns?
0: From a return standpoint, Investing in the stock market as a whole, something like the S&P 500, Uh it's usually returned around 9% a year annualized over the last 100 years. Okay. Of course, there are years where it goes up 40%, there are years it goes down 40%. Okay. But the average has been around 9% and closer to 7% after inflation.
1: Okay. Okay. I'm with you on the up 40%. I can handle that. (laughs) But when it goes down 40%, are you not tempted to sell at that point? Like, how do you hold on and know that it's going to go back up?
0: Yeah, that's that's one of the scariest times. I was investing in the stock market in 2008 and my portfolio went down about 40% overall during that time. I was fortunate at that time to be investing with an advisor who's like, just keep investing more money in now
2: yeah. and
0: it'll go up. And a lot of that is really taking it on faith that, you know, the U S market as a whole is going to recover from this. Right. So if you believe that the U S as a whole is going to get out of this recession and someday be growing, mm-hmm. then that can be one of the best times. I think uh, Warren Buffett has this famous quote. That's like, be greedy when other people are fearful. Yeah. And it's around putting money into the stock market during those times when it's really low. And some of the biggest fortunes have been made during that time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true for real estate too. I mean, that's, that's really, if I could rewind the clock 10 years and just be like, dump everything I had, I had no idea, you know, I, I was just getting into real estate back then. Um, but, uh, and I still remember my agent's broker that she was working with was telling me that her, she was buying up these, all these like condos in the Oakland area, a piece Like, and now they're probably worth five to seven times that, you know, it's just crazy. Like I, you know, it's probably putting down like 15, 20,000 and <laughs> it's just like bananas. So, over a hundred years is, do you have like an average over a shorter window of time? Like once you account for all those, like go up 40%, down 40%, like what could I expect over the next, like, let's say 10 to 15 years if I like jumped in now? And, and then a second question is now even a good time for me to jump in.
0: Yeah. So over the next 10 years, there's really no way of knowing
2: (laughs) like, uh, you don't have a crystal ball.
0: (laughs) I know. In uh, for instance, in the like 2000 to 2010, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: like if you were invested during that period, you didn't do very well because that was the dot-com boom and the great recession. Right. So, you know, you went, you went up a little bit, down a lot, up a little bit, down a lot. Mm -hmm. And you came out pretty much even over a 10 year period. You weren't making 9%.
2: Right.
0: And in the decades since then, it's gone up about, you know, 17%. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So um, I think it's but if you were in there, that full 20 years, then you would have gotten closer to that 9%. So the longer your time horizon, the more okay. likely it is that your returns will be around that 9% number.
1: We'll get back to our conversation with Adam Fortuna in just a minute. back to our chat with Adam Fortuna. Now that you're retired, what do you do all day? Do you just, you wake up late and you sit around and watch TV? Like, what do you do with your days?
0: It varies quite a lot now. It's November right now. And so it's starting to get a little cold, but I live here in Salt Lake and we're still able to go hiking. That's been something I've been doing a lot in the last year. I've been trying to focus on having one creative hobby one educational hobby and one physical hobby. What's been nice about having those three is that they don't kind of compete with each other. So the physical hobby might be like a, during this year, I trained and ran a half marathon. And uh, then for a time I was trying to hike all the the largest peaks in Salt Lake area. It was originally going to be hike all the peaks and run a marathon. But then I realized, no, that, that that's a little bit crazy. <laughs> so it's kind of like having these like little personal goals like that that have helped uh, kind of keep me motivated and on track.
1: So you're really able to just live out your bucket list.
0: Yeah, that's been a big part of it. And yeah. uh, for me, having the, the creative one has been like a, a programming project to do maybe a, a data visualization, which has been something I've been trying to get more into to explore. And yeah. uh, that's kind of scratched a lot of the itch of uh, some of the parts that, you know, a job previously filled for me on the creative side.
1: And I've noticed that on your blog, on on Minify, you have a lot of interactive tools. You know, you have the periodic table of fire and like a lot of things that other fire bloggers don't have. And is that part of the creativity and the programming side of things?
0: Yeah, it's been been really fun to just program things and not have to worry about them making money. (laughs) Really just to just uh, create something for the sake of creating it, to get it out of my mind to get the physical manifestation of what I've been like dreaming of. I think of it like the same same way a director or a writer has something they want to create and they just spend the time to do it. Being able to do that without needing it to make money is yeah. it's just amazing.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like that's so much of everything that we always talk about too is, you know, envision this world where people can do what they love and do almost like, what i think why they were put here on this earth right like that to just get it out like you said it just feels like something you have to do but people just get so consumed in going to work every day and and living life and are so busy with that that they're not able to and not always um but but sometimes where they're not able to just do things because they want to and because they feel like that's what they need to do um so that's so powerful so i'm glad <laughs> that you mentioned that
1: And I wanted to just pause real quick because some of the listeners may not have ever heard of FIRE. So can you go into that? What is FIRE? And for people who might want to start on that journey to FIRE, what do you tell them to do?
0: Yeah. So uh, FIRE stands for Financial Independence, Retire Early. The two parts of that, financial independence, are um, building your wealth to a point where it can support your lifestyle going forward. And so that can be some combination of having, you know, investments that you make money off of. It can be real estate that is uh, paying some of your expenses. It could be that you live a lower cost life, so you're able to do it. And then the retire early part is more about what you do after your two financial independents. Retire early could mean, you know, you volunteer. It could mean you uh, hike a lot. It could mean you even continue working, but you're able to do it on your own, you know, your own schedule.
1: And so I want to touch on this also, which is that you retired early, you've created Minify, which that must be like a pot of money right there, right? That's making you lots of money every month? (laughs) Uh, Not
0: exactly. Kind of like I mentioned about uh, just creating things and putting them online. It's really been just an expensive hobby right now. It is making negative money every month. So it's costing me money to run it. <laughs> uh, um, I wouldn't mind eventually turning it into something that makes money. But uh, one thing I did was I did this journaling exercise where I said, like, what do I want out of this site? And uh, some of the things were like, I don't want it to have ads. I don't want to have to be on there every week. I want to be able to you know, drop everything and not look at it for a month or two if I want and uh, I kind of let that determine where it goes. And I wouldn't be surprised if eventually it ends up making money, but it's, uh, it's not there yet.
1: I love that, that you work backwards from what you actually wanted your lifestyle to be in relation to this blog versus trying to turn this blog into this super successful money machine. You really took a look at your life and how the blog fits into your life. I love that. <laughs> Last question for me, which is something that you do on the blog, is you regularly publish your income and expense reports, your net worth, your asset allocation. Why do you do that? Isn't it scary? And also, what do you hope that people will get out of that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was uh, a little bit scary at first before I published the first one. I ran the whole idea by my wife and she's like, this is a lot of numbers. Like, are you sure about this? I'm like, are you sure about this? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But uh, one of the things that helped me the most when I was learning how to invest was reading how others are doing it. Mm-hmm. Reading how others are investing, what their asset allocation is, what specific decisions they're making on a month to month basis and how they're kind of changing things as either the market changes or, uh, you know, news comes out. And so one of the reasons to do that is kind of to show the importance of like uh, buy and hold investing, Mm -hmm. where you're just buying something and kind of just letting it grow and really just not touching it. (laughs) So a lot of the income reports are kind of intentionally boring. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I, I really just held the things that I already had and I didn't make any changes to them. And sometimes that's an important thing to share. Because uh, it it shows like that you can make money this way by not uh, needing your to you know put the, the thumb on the scale every month.
1: hmm hmm mm-hmm. It's uh, get rich slowly, and <laughs> it can be boring at times, but uh, in the long run, it'll work out. Exactly.
2: So I'm just curious. Can you give us like a quick snapshot, if possible, of what that looks like—the income and expenses, like. You know what? What do you post on there? Like, are we talking about stocks? Or are we talking about? Well, I guess that's that's where your income is coming from, right? Like, your primary source of income is coming from the stock market.
0: On the income side, it was very light. It was uh, my income when I had a day job. Okay. And since then, it hasn't really had an income.
2: <laughs> oh, okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so nowadays, it's mostly the the spending side and what I'm investing in okay. and how those investments are growing
2: got it okay and then with the index funds those like they don't pay a dividend do they or or how do you get paid or is it just like you watch the value grow and then when you need money you take some out or how does that work
0: yeah so one of the nice things about let's say the Vanguard uh, total US stock market fund VTSAx mm-hmm. it's kind of one of the most common index funds that people invest in uh-huh. and that it's, it's the largest thing I invest in. Okay. It gives about a two to two and a half percent dividend right now okay. for the last year. Okay. So, you know, you have, you have a million dollars in it. You're going to get $25,000 in dividends every year. Okay. And uh, so for instance, I have those because I'm still in a kind of a accumulation phase. My wife's still working. Um, I have, I have those set to reinvest back into VTSAX every time I get a dividend. So that kind of helps it grow a little bit more and it kind of helps stabilize it. And uh, yeah.
2: Okay. Okay. Interesting. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Shall we move into the impact round? Let's do it. All right. So three questions. Um, The first one is, what is one thing that you're doing for yourself right now to create a better life?
0: One thing I'm doing for myself right now to create a better life is uh, making sure I have like dreams that are keeping me motivated. (laughs) So uh, one of the things I tried this year for 2019 is the way I did my New Year's resolutions this year. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like goals that I wanted to accomplish by the end of the year, Uh but it was more like personal habits that I wanted to develop for the rest of my life. So for instance, one of them was like, wake up relaxed and refreshed every day. Yeah. And uh, like finding out how to shape my life so that that becomes a priority. Yeah. Or another one was uh, learning how to cook this year Mm
2: -hmm.
0: because we were eating out a lot. We were trying out lots of new cuisines. So I made it a big focus to learn a lot of the recipes that I liked. Some of them I realized like I think I'd rather just buy this from someone else.
2: <laughs> I definitely have those on my list. It's called sushi. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, earlier this last month, we made a uh, barbecue pork buns oh, and yeah. I realized like, wow, these are a lot of work. I'd rather yeah. spend a dollar and buy these. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so some of that experience kind of lets me know the value and things that I, I was already getting like sushi. I would not Mm -hmm. want to make it home either.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And croissants. I would not want to make croissants from scratch. Oh, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I love that because it's really, you know,
2: helping you live an intentional life. And I'm such a, Annie knows, I'm always talking about that. Like do it with intention, everything you do, make sure you have a reason why you're doing it. And, you know, we can so easily let the days and the years kind of slip by. And so when you start off the new year with an intention to want to learn how to cook or want to, and not have a deadline, because I think we get so caught up too in in that, like, Oh, I said, it's a new year's resolution. So by the end of the year, I have to have that done. But just to, Be like, you know, I have certain things where I'm like, I just want to be this kind of a person and something that's like ongoing that I'm all, I feel like I'm always working on. Um, But setting that intention, I think at the beginning of the year is so cool. So I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Um, And so the next question, this one is my favorite. Um, Share one hack with us that um, might help the audience and it can be anything. It can be like a great book you've read, an investment strategy, um, you know, something that you know, might help someone else uh, catapult their journey to fire or something like that. Any tips there? One of
0: the things I've been trying to do more that I think, uh, I think I just picked it up from reading blogs is how people uh, like self journal. Mm -hmm. There's this idea that, you know, journaling is maybe just like writing about your day and recapping how it is. But I think one of the most valuable things that uh, has been really helpful for me is figuring out how to ask myself questions Mm-hmm. And then just write about them. So just, uh, you know, coming up with all these questions about your day or what you want to do or why you're feeling a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say, you you know, you end the day very stressed or anxious, like just asking yourself, you know, why was I stressed today and writing yeah. about it? And then yeah. leading that to other questions to ask yourself, like, you know, what could I do about this? Or yeah. maybe like, do I want to feel this way? Mm-hmm. Or should I talk to someone about this? Right. So getting good at this like self-evaluation
1: side of things mm-hmm.
2: yeah.
0: has been like really, really useful for me.
1: Yeah. It's almost like you're going to, to happy hour at the end of a long day, <laughs> and you've got friends who are asking you all these questions about your day, but you're asking yourself. I love that. It's like that ongoing self-reflection. And I'm sure that as you do it more, you get better and better. So the questions get better, and they become more automatic.
0: Yeah. There's this book called... Uh, Becoming a Supple Leopard. <laughs> it's, it, it's about uh, how to uh, kind of the, the pre- it's a, it's a phys- physical book about how to uh, get in good, good shape, good health. And one of the premises is human beings should be able to perform basic human maintenance on themselves. Yeah. And that's on the physical level. And I feel like, you know, the journaling part helps on the, the mental and emotional level.
2: Yeah. And I love that because I feel like it's looking inward, I think is something that a lot of people have a tough time doing. And so when you get in this habit of asking yourself questions, like, why am I feeling this way today? Like, how can I, you know, and just really thinking more about that and what can I do? And I think we're kind of programmed to be like, I feel... Like not so good today. I'm gonna to go out and buy like a big cup of Starbucks latte down that and then I'm gonna feel better or I'm gonna go out and do happy hour and then I'm gonna feel better and it's or I'm gonna sit out in front zone in front of the TV and not Really ever understanding what's really going on inside of them to make things truly better for like the long run. So um, Thank you for that tip. I'm gonna start doing that <laughs> um, Okay, so last question <clears throat> What's the one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm just curious what, what you'll, what you'll say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So, um, one of the, the things that, uh, I did a lot in my career was, uh, teach people how to program. Okay. And I really loved kind of like introducing new people, helping them get through some of the hard problems and just seeing people grow because of this extra knowledge they had programming. So one of the things I've been kind of shifting gears on and doing on my site is helping people learn how to invest mm-hmm. and get started on that side. Right. And uh, one of the next steps for that that I'm working on right now is a uh, kind of a, a series of courses to teach people how to invest. Okay. And get started. Uh-huh. But one of the things I'm trying with it is uh, for every like person who who buys it, uh-huh. I'm gonna be giving away and working with schools and teachers to give away five to 10 copies of it to students and teachers where anyone can get it for free. So I'm kind of letting the older crowd who's already established in their career fund education for oh you know, teachers and students.
2: I love that. Oh, so amazing. That is so cool. When is that going to go live?
0: Uh, depending on my motivation, December <laughs> or January, <Okay. laughs> but it's coming out soon.
2: That's so exciting. And it'll be up on your website?
0: Yep. Um, Yeah, it's uh, the uh, Minify Investor Bootcamp. I'm kind of organizing it as a a three-month series of courses to teach everything you need to know to invest.
2: And what's the price point going to be?
0: Planning on it being $300. Okay.
2: Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely have to check
1: that out. Indeed, indeed. Well, Adam, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm sure people are going to want to sign up for your boot camp and also learn more. So, where can people go to connect with you and learn more?
0: Well, I blog every week or so over at uh, minify.com, m-i-n-a-f-i, uh, or I'm over on Twitter. You can catch it at the the bottom of uh, my site, and yeah, just uh, subscribe to my mailing list where I kind of send out. Uh, weekly or biweekly emails and uh, kind of help people get started investing and keep the motivation up about how to kind of live your best life after or while you're working
1: awesome adam fortuna creator of minify thank you so much adam for being here
0: Uh, thank you thank you so much
1: You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodeginvestments.com slash podcast, and be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.